Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. Don't you love having that hope, that blessed assurance that Jesus gives to us? Well, today, I want to encourage you to live in joy on this Friday broadcast. And as I say every Friday, you know what? It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. You know, on Friday, that was the day that Jesus was probably crucified and put into that borrowed man's tomb. Uh, He was either crucified late Thursday night or early Friday morning. And so Friday was a terrible time. Uh, I don't know why they call it Good Friday. I guess it was good because the sacrifices of sins had been atoned for, but Jesus died on that Friday, Good Friday 2,000 years ago. But Sunday was coming and he was going to rise again on the first day of the week. And so today we can live in joy. Now I think about living in joy. My good friend, Harold Vaughn, a great prayer warrior, teaches on revival. I said this, until you change your thinking, you will always recycle your experiences. Change your thinking. When you change the way you think, you change the way you live. Now, the word repentance is a very interesting word. The word repentance doesn't mean I'm changing my life. It means I'm changing my mind. I'm changing how I think, how I process. I believed something was wrong and I, and I repent of that and I change and believe something that is right. It is actually a change of mind which leads to a change of direction. But you can't have that change of direction until you change the way you think. You know, it's, it's easy when you think about mercy, for example. It's easy to be merciful to those that we feel deserve a break. But mercy, by its very definition, is always given to those who don't deserve a break. So part of living a life filled with joy is being a merciful person. You know, mercy is not a feeling. Uh, it's more than empty words of sympathy. Mercy is involving an action. Uh, mercy is something that I do. I give somebody mercy. I don't feel merciful. It, it may start with that feeling, but I actually have to do something. Mercy is not denying an offense has occurred. You know, it's not saying, well, it never. I guess it never really occurred, right? No, no, it's acknowledging that it occurred, It kind of reminds me of the story of Joseph, right? Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, the end of the book of Genesis, he is given a summary of his life and uh, all that he went through, how his brothers were extremely uh, mean to him, right? Uh, Left him for dead, put him in a pit, sold him off into slavery. And and so what does Joseph do? He, He didn't say, well, that didn't happen. No, he says, you meant all that you did to me. You meant it for evil. Uh, There's no misunderstanding there. You meant to be mean-spirited to me. You were evil to me, but God has turned it to good. So mercy is not denying an offense has occurred. Mercy is not enabling a person to continue in his sin. It's not like, okay, I'm going to give you merciful, right, so you can hit me again. No, that's not what mercy is. We're not called upon to be a spiritual doormat for people, right? Mercy is not enabling a person to continue sin. If you are a recipient of mercy and you continue to live in a way of being a disgrace to that forgiveness that you've been given. You know, the Bible talks about what's going to happen to you. Uh, the Bible says that those who call upon a name but don't have a true conversion, uh, I think about that false faith, right? That demon faith. Uh, demon faith is, is seeing God do the miraculous, but not believing in that. And that's what Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. In Exodus chapter 34, it says that the Lord, the Lord God, is merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth. So mercy is that act of sparing, but it's not giving somebody a pass because they've done something wrong. It's love in action. You know, Charles Hausberg said, 
The Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our hearts upon the black horse of affliction. So let's talk about how we can live a joy-filled life. I think it begins by recognizing I've got to forgive those who have failed me. In James chapter 2, verse 13, it says that mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, some men will try to be tall by cutting off the heads of others. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Be gentle. Be ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. You see, this is this great joy that we receive when we obtain forgiveness. But there's a whole new level of joy that we have when we give forgiveness. You know, the Trinity is involved in this whole role of our forgiveness. But I want you to know that we are to forgive so that we may enjoy God's goodness without feeling the weight of anger that's burning deep within our hearts. Forgiveness does not mean we recant the fact that something bad has happened to us. Instead, we roll our burdens over onto the Lord, and we allow Him to carry that burden for us. So if you want to live a joy-filled life, you've got to be one who forgives and forgives often. And number two, if you want to live a joy-filled life, you want to help those who are in genuine need. James chapter 2, verse 15 says, you know, suppose you have a brother or a sister and they don't have clothes and they don't have daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but he doesn't do anything about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. Now, this verse doesn't say somebody else should help. It says, if you see a need, it comes to your attention, you should provide. And when you do that, you experience a whole new level of joy because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And now maybe you're listening to the broadcast and well, I'm not so sure that statement is true. Now Jesus said that statement, I didn't say that. But when I think about it, I want to ask you a very simple question. Which person would you rather be? Person A is the person who's got to go to somebody and say, you know, I'm a little bit down on my luck and I don't have any money. My credit cards are maxed. I don't have any money to put gas in my tank. Can you give me $10 for gas? Would you rather be that person, person A, or would you rather be person B? Person B is the one that that person is coming to and is able to meet that need. I don't know about you. I would much rather be person B, being able to meet the need of somebody else, as opposed to being that person who's got to go and ask for help. Listen, God takes care of our needs, and often he does it through the hands of other people. So we are told to help those who are less fortunate than we are. That is part of being joy-filled, forgiving others, helping others. And number three, be patient with difficult people. You know, some people are very easy to be patient with. We have some people in our congregation. We have a few elderly women. I just love them. They are very long-suffering, and uh, you know, they're just very patient. And it's so easy to love them and to be patient with them because they're always affirming. They're never complaining. Uh, it's not that I need patience for easy people. I need patience for the difficult people. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage the timid, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. And then Paul says in Romans 15, 
accept one another, just as Christ has accepted you. Now, as we're accepting people and being patient with people, uh, it's sometimes easy to criticize them. Uh, It's much easier to criticize and to sympathize with them. But we're told in Philippians 2.14 that we should do all things without grumbling. So forgive others, help others, be patient with others. You discover that your joy quotient begins to go up. Now, there's another thing that you can do to help your joy to remain intact, and that is to be kind to your enemies. You know, some people are so easy to be kind to. It's easy to be kind to those who are kind to me. Uh, Jesus says, if you do good to those who do good to you, well, what credit is that to you? Jesus says, even sinners do that. You know, not too long ago, I had a, a church member and, and they needed help with something. And, and so I said, I'd be happy to help you with that. And I ran over to their house and, and gave them what they needed. And, uh, you know, it was so easy to do that. You know why I was so eager to do that? Well, because this church member's always been there for me when I needed them. It was easy to do good to them because they had done good to me. I didn't have to think twice about it. What I had to think twice about is being kind to my enemies. Jesus says, you know, even sinners are good to those who are good to them. But we are told to love your enemies, to do good to them. Then your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Well, number five, if you want to be filled with joy, you've got to sincerely care for the lost. Care for those who are lost. You know, oftentimes those who are in most need of mercy and grace are the ones that are most resistant to mercy. You know, it's very difficult for us to acknowledge we all need mercy because it's very difficult for us to see how wrong our wrongness is. It's a huge swallowing of our pride to accept mercy because it requires acknowledging our need. So maybe you're asking, well, why should I be merciful? Well, I want you to know God's been very merciful to me, and he's been very merciful to you. Whenever I'm tempted not to be merciful to somebody, I just remind myself just how kind and merciful the Lord has been to me. In Psalm 116, it says, the Lord is kind and does what is right. Our God is merciful. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. I should choose mercy because God is merciful. I should also choose mercy because I need mercy every single day. You know, every day I need God's forgiveness. I need mercy. You know, mercy is really a two-way street. When you refuse to show mercy to others, you're burning the very bridge that you have to walk across to receive God's mercy. So be merciful to others because you need mercy every day, and God is merciful to us. And then number three, be merciful because it makes me joyful. It makes me happy. This is what Solomon said, Proverbs 11, 17. Your own soul is nourished when you are kind. It is destroyed when you are cruel. You see, by being merciful to somebody else, I am actually receiving kindness myself in return. You know, as you think about life, God uses situations and people and circumstances to help us to be more like Jesus. This is where we find joy in our lives. The more I strive to be like Christ, the more I'm filled with joy. You know, when I think about living a life like like Christ lived, I think about Abraham, and it says of Abraham, when he was very old, the Lord blessed him in every single way. He said to his senior servant, Eliezer, and he talks about the one that was in charge and put his hand under his thigh and was going to bless him. 
Abraham realized that God was with him every step of the way, so he passes that blessing on. But when we think about blessings, blessings come at every stage of your life if you're looking for them. So what am I supposed to do when I receive these blessings? It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You are told to pass that blessing along, passing the faith along, passing the blessing along. It teaches us to know who God is because God passes his blessing to us. Now, there's a second thing that it does to us. It teaches us to be very specific in my accomplishments. As we think about how God has blessed us, God has given us the ability to accomplish all that we put our hand to because he has blessed it. You know, when Satan works, Satan is very specific about what he wants you to live in. He wants you to live a life of deception, and he comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Christ has come to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. So as you look at your life, which direction are you going? Which path are you following? Do you want to be one who is set free and be filled with joy? You know, even in your career, I'm thinking about how God has blessed us with a career. You know, I have a friend who who is having a Bible study at his workplace once a week, an hour before work starts. He was told that he could no longer have a Bible study at work, and so he moved his Bible study to a local restaurant near the workplace. The restaurant owner was happy to receive the extra morning business, and the Bible study continues to grow and have a great impact. You see, life is filled with joy when we invest in other people. You know, there's a lot of what-ifs in life. We can't get around that. But what if we decided to capitalize upon every opportunity that comes our way? We are told in Romans 12, 21, not to be overcome by evil, but how do we overcome evil? We overcome evil with good. I want you to know you can be joy-filled if you will trust God's promises. You know, somebody says there's 365 specific promises to us as believers, one for every single day of the year. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I never took the time to count them, but I know the Bible is chock full of promises. One of those promises says this, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land and who spoke to me, promised on an oath to your offspring, I will give land. He will send his angel before you so that you can have a wife for my son there. What is the promise being fulfilled here? God is going to give Abraham a son. You know, God has these promises for us. What promise is God fulfilling through me at my work, for example? Did you know that God is able to exceedingly do above and beyond what you think and ask according to that power that lives within in Him? When we think about God blessing us and being joy-filled, when we are joy-filled, we learn to cooperate with others. Now, this may be a hard lesson for some of us to learn, to cooperate with others. But as we cooperate with one another, we discover that there's joy in accomplishing things together. God never intended us to walk the Christian life by ourselves. Solomon says one person standing alone is easily attacked and then defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three people are even better for a triple branded cord is not easily broken. Who are you working on or working with today? so that you can become a better team player there at your work. We're told in Philippians chapter 2 not to be selfish, not to try to impress others, but to be humble, thinking of others as better than themselves. Think about how your church could change, how your marriage could change, how your whole life could change 
if you started thinking of others as better than yourselves. You see, I think most of us struggle because we think we're not a whole lot better than everybody else, but we're just a little bit better than everybody else. We're just a a notch above everybody else. Oh, we are told not to be selfish, to be thinking of others as better than ourselves. You know, if you want to live a joyful life, you've got to learn how to pray. You cannot, I believe, have joy without praying. There is a power that we experience as we begin to cry out to God. You know, God blesses our work when we pray for our work. God blesses our efforts when we pray that God goes before us. God can even turn around that marriage that you're struggling in. When I think about the power of prayer, somebody says that you ought to pray until something happens. Push, keep pushing, pray until something happens, and God will see that something miraculous will happen. You know, when you learn to have patience, you learn to have perseverance, it is then that you will learn to experience joy. You know, there's a profound statement that I heard many years ago by a pastor, and I've never forgot these words, and they have encouraged me throughout the years. The words are this, this little phrase, you will never get beyond whatever it takes to get you discouraged. What is that one area in your life? that has got you discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged in your marriage and you can't get past it. You know, if you can't get past that discouragement, your marriage will not last very long. Maybe it's your church. Maybe you get discouraged with your church and and, and maybe there's some struggles and there's some turmoils within your church. And I'm not discounting that. Uh, churches constantly have struggles. I mean, we got all these people that come together that are looking for the perfect church and, and none of us are perfect and we all get together, kind of like the old porcupines who come together to get warm and encourage the warmth of one another. And then as soon as we get close to one another, we start poking one another. Listen, the church is filled and comprised of people who are hurting. But if you get discouraged and give up on your church, you lose the opportunity to be infused with the joy of the Lord. Whatever it is that gets you discouraged, if you don't get past that, it will be your demise. Whether it be your work or whether it be your marriage, whether it be your church, whatever area. You know, as I think about patience and perseverance, those who have accomplished most for this life have not often been the most talented or the most wise or the most intellectual. It's always been those with the most patience and the most persistence. You know, I think about IQ. You're kind of born with the IQ that you have, or you may be able to raise it a few notches, a few points, by studying and by being well-informed. But you know, God has given you your mind, and, and it's a gift from Him. And our mind is, it is what it is. I mean, that's what we have. Same with talents. I think about those who are really good in sports, and, and uh, no doubt they work hard. But the difference between a great athlete and an average athlete is not their talent, but their persistence, their willingness to go that extra mile. Maybe you need some patience today. James says, the trying of our faith produces patience. I want you to know that if you will stick with it, don't quit today. Take it for one more day. If you will hang in there one more day, you discover that God will bless you. So many people lose a blessing on Tuesday because they quit on Monday. You know, I want you to know that God wants to do a mighty work in your life, and He is able to do that mighty work in your life if you surrender to Him and completely trust Him. He will go far beyond what you could ever imagine. 
You know, I think about Jesus. When he came to this earth, he was very clear. He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And then he says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, be servant of all. Who are the happiest people at Hickory Ridge Community Church? Who are the happiest people at your work? Who are the happiest people in your family? The happiest people are always those who are serving and giving. Johnny Erickson Tata visited a disaster site. In the aftermath of the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City, author and speaker Johnny Erickson Tata was invited to be part of a Christian counseling team that helped with victims. Now, many of you know that Johnny Erickson Tata is a quadriplegic. She writes, Upon arrival, I had to go to the American Cross Center to be cleared and to get my credentials. And I will never forget wheeling into that low, flat, red building. There were people setting up chairs and tables and stacking forms and putting out donuts and coffee. And across the large room was a tall, official-looking woman with a white lab coat. When she saw me in the wheelchair through the door, she quickly turned around with her clipboard, put down her glasses, and said, Oh my, are we glad to see you here. That sparked my curiosity, and I said, Why? She responded, when people walk up to you in your wheelchair and they see you handle your personal crisis with that smile of yours, it speaks volumes to them. It assures them that they can handle their crisis too. We need people like you here. Please help us go out and find more individuals like you who can assist us. You know, immediately I get the picture in my mind, would it be great on any given Sunday? to see people with white canes and wheelchairs or walkers come through the doors of our sanctuaries. It wouldn't be something if if we all turned around in our seats in our congregation and we exclaimed, Oh, my, we are glad to see you. We need people like you here in our church. Wouldn't that be something? The woman in the American Cross white lab coat had caught the drift of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 22 and 23, which says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we treat them with special honor. Listen, I want you to know that God can use you beyond your wildest expectations. Don't think that because you have some shortcomings in your life that God can't use you. God can take a vessel that is broken, and put it back together again and use it to be a blessing to others. Oh yeah, there are some challenges in life. There are constant challenges in our lives. But God has given us the ability to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He can give you the ability to overcome our culture. You know, we are living in a time where it seems like our culture is quickly eroding, quickly sliding away. You know, our values may change but our value to God never does. You know, those famous board games that we know of as as the game of life, uh, that famous board game through the years has changed values. This hugely popular board game by Milton Bradley called the game of life went through the following variations, which reflect the changes in our culture. In 1789, even before Milton Bradley was even born, 
a board game from England, arrived in the United States and became very popular. It was called The New Game of Human Life. Acquiring virtues, you'd speed through the game while vices would slow you down. Parents were encouraged to play the game with their children. The game's main point was life is a voyage that begins at birth and ends at death. God is at the helm, fate is cruel, and your reward lies beyond the grave. And then in 1860, Milton Bradley invented a simple board game and he called it the checkered game of life. And the good path included honesty and bravery. The difficult path included idleness and disgrace. Industry and perseverance led to wealth and success. Bradley described it as a highly moral game that encourages children to lead exemplary lives and to entertain both the old and the young with a spirit of friendly competition. Then in 1960, Milton Bradley released another game called The Game of Life. It sold 35 million copies in this game. It earned a whole lot of money, but in this particular game, it's a day of reckoning. Whoever makes the most money and retires, and they get to retire to the millionaire acres. And then in 1990, Milton Bradley came up with another game. And in this version of the game that was updated in 2011, there's a thousand ways that you can live your life you choose. Values are up for grab. You get as many points that you can get, whether you're scuba diving or whether you're donating a kidney. You see, the game website says, do whatever it takes to retire in style with the most wealth at the end of the game. I want you to know life is short. Only one life to live. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's where you find joy. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. We meet at 9 o'clock or 1030. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.